Welcome to The Current, a podcast series about digital transformation produced by Forbes Brand Voice with Dell Technologies and Intel. I'm your host, Michael Copeland. Welcome to The Current. And we are here, I think, deep in the Mojave Desert at the Mojave Air and Spaceport with Randa Milliron, who is the CEO and co-founder of Interorbital Systems. Randa, welcome. Pleasure to be here. I just like saying air and spaceport and interorbital systems because it all sounds so damn cool. We've been cruising around and there's rockets everywhere and things are being built and all by hand and all being prepped for space. Tell us, and I want to get into what rocket science really is, but you guys are a rocket company and tell us what interorbital systems does. Interorbital makes rockets. They make all the components of rockets. We do engines. We don't have to outsource those to other countries or other companies. Uh, I guess you could say we're completely vertically integrated. We make everything from our engines, which are bipropellant liquid engines, uh, all the way up through uh, our payloads, which are satellite kits that uh, are the center of curricula, I think, in 25 countries right now. And they're the kind of gateway drug to the space industry for young children. We're in a building and we're surrounded by other buildings like this where there are other kind of space-oriented companies. And, and, and just to paint a picture, warehousey, again, we're in a desert, there's a landing strip nearby. They are not huge buildings. This is not like going to a Boeing you know, assembly plant. So the scale is smaller, but that also implies something about what you guys are doing. And you described it as Space 3.0. So Walk us through the other space pointos and, okay. and how we get to you guys. Okay, and uh, you know this this con- is a concept that's been talked about for the last oh, two years. The fact that there were several iterations of space. There was a space 1.0, which was the uh, original Apollo program, you know, unlimited cash, uh, just you know total, you know go for it. One whatever giant it took. step, one yeah, huge all bell. That. Yeah, all that. And then there was Space 2.0, which is uh, basically, I guess, Elon Musk, SpaceX, uh, Jeff Bezos, which are still hugely expensive projects. They've lowered the cost, which is great, you know, up the frequency of launch, but it's still out of reach for most students, most experimenters, most people in general. But Space 3.0, which is what we embody here at Interorbital, is, is that new reach into the general population to allow people who have an interest in space or who need to use space for experimentation, uh, it allows them the opportunity to go there and not break the bank. We, we did a quick tour around, uh, around your, your company, around your shop, and, and there's one person working on um, guidance systems doing software. There's another person I saw working on your one of your rockets, um, which is about, what, 20, 30 feet long? It's about 30 feet long. That's yeah. uh, it's, a, um, it's actually the next uh, vehicle that will fly. It's the basic building block of every one of our Neptune series rockets, which are modular rockets made of identical modules, or CPMs right. as we call them, common propulsion modules. Uh, that is uh, a prototype for uh, what we call the Neptune 1, or the N1, that is going to be flying uh, a um, suborbital trajectory uh, this fall. Uh, and carrying about uh, 11 different satellite payloads also for testing. Uh, but that is, that's the precursor to the first orbital launch that we'll be doing. Right now we're testing 
Uh, we're, we're making sure that all the systems work perfectly because if they don't work perfectly, you could have a disaster. Right. Uh, so there's no pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, that, um, that rocket that you saw in the other room is, is really the core component of every vehicle that will come out of this company, come out of this, this building. We have a, a Neptune one, again, which is that uh, booster with two stages on top of it. A uh, very small profile vehicle. We, we made these small so that they fit in uh, uh, common uh, carriers like a 40-foot cargo container and mm-hmm. can be moved you know, across the highways with no, no problem. The other vehicles, uh, which are kind of transformer-like, you, you would um, group together or bundle these modules to uh, meet the mission requirements for a particular type of launch. So if you had to mm-hmm. carry more or go farther, right. you, yeah, you, you just you pile on the modules, and right. each of those modules has its own engine, carries its own propellants, has its own brain, basically, and you integrate it into a larger vehicle, and that would go from like an N1, N3, N5, and an N8, which is what we're using as our moon rocket. Again, you know, we see these rockets here in the space and why are you guys able to do it? Why don't we need any more? And maybe you do in the background have, you know, hundreds and thousands of people working on this stuff, but you know, how is it that you guys are able to build, you know, space ready systems? Um, And how is it that you guys are able to do rocket science in a way that hasn't been done before? Well, we had to do it in a way that we could afford to do it. And that required building a rocket that was affordable. So, uh, I mean, it sounds simplistic, but that's, that's essentially it. We started with no budget, and we increased, you know, getting, uh, getting some funding here and there. We are largely self-funded. We had one NASA contract, uh, I think, in 2011. Other than that, we've been totally self-funded. Uh, but that takes time, you know, it takes time to not only do the rocket science that's required and the rocket engineering and the building and the prototyping and the testing, but raising all the cash required, you know, is, a, is a, an equally challenging uh, endeavor. How is it that you guys ended up in the space business? We, um, I guess we had an epiphany at, at a uh, Pacific Rocket Society launch. That is one of the oldest rocket societies in the world. And um, we met a group of people who were doing a, a rocket on their own, a 2,000-pound thrust engine. Uh, we were invited to the engine firing. Uh, we, we experienced the incredible power of a rocket engine. Uh, I remember falling to my knees and <laughs> thinking that, that it was exploding. <laughs> but then I, Duck and crept, roll. I crept up and looked out the blockhouse window, and it was still going. And that was just the voice of the, the engine. You know? wow. it was, it was, and I, I said to, to Roderick, my husband, Roderick, uh, I said, you know, we, we've been kissed by the flame here, man. This is, there's no going there's back no now. This, is, back this now. is the only thing we can do. So for us, it's not just uh, you know, some way to make money or, or whatever, even though we'd need it for a more grandiose programs like moon bases and things like that it was it was instant love you know it was it was just fantastic i can't think of doing anything else as a profession but this the the private space industry sounds in some ways like the beginnings of the computer industry where it was you know exactly. kind of people who were just really into it and got together and traded knowledge and and started building things yeah um, kind of the homebrew rocket yeah. <laughs> rocket company i guess because it sort of was that you know and, and people would work uh, 
you know, there was no thought of being paid for any of that at the time. You know, it was just, you know, labor of love, and people would uh, get together, and, and uh, everyone would help everyone else. And, uh, you know, it was a really pretty beautiful experience to, to watch that all develop. And people who came out of that scene are now the heads of rocket companies. Right. Well, and so with your rockets, in front of us we have two very small satellites. One's called a CubeSat, and it looks like a cube and maybe, I don't know, twice as big as a large Rubik's Cube. And then the other one that you guys have designed is called TubeSat, which, um, forgive me, but I'm going to say it, it looks like a pint glass. I mean, it's about the same mm, size yes. if yes. a pint glass it had does, uh, solar panels and <laughs> two antennas sticking off we'll the side. We'll have to put out a limited edition <laughs> of uh, glasses like that, I think. Oh, I'd get yeah. one for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Th these are, I think these are what catches everyone's imaginations too, the idea that I can put one of these you know, a cylinder or a cube into space and or into sub, you know, into near Earth orbit or suborbital space and mm -hmm. um, and do stuff with it. So what's being done with these things and, and who's taking them and and running with them? Well, right now, the, the these kits, uh, these are kits that we sell. So you can learn to make your own personal satellite. You get all the parts. Uh, you get complete instructions. And it's kind of secretly a, a team-building uh, experiment because if you can't do some of the things, you bring in people who can. But these are being built by people from middle school up through you know, government agencies. So this is an incredibly useful uh, form factor, both of them, even though they're tiny, uh, with all the miniaturization that has uh, come actually beca largely because of these satellites now. They can do a remarkable number of... Uh, functions, including uh, being part of a, say, a robotic swarm and, and uh, do functions like uh, some folks want to use them for refueling the bigger satellites or picking up space debris or, or uh, as they're used now as uh, remote sensing type uh, operational nodes. There, there are many companies that have made their fortune uh, doing that sort of um, Earth observation. So these are these are kind of the and when I said gateway the gateway drug to space they they actually are they're they're uh, they're something that is affordable that the tube set which uh, which Rod invented is a form factor that allows uh, academic institutions to for eight thousand dollars get a kit and a launch which we provide and they will have on their resume I built a satellite yeah the first tube set in space flew on a on a Japanese rocket it was last December. It was taken to the ISS. Mm -hmm. Inter International Space Station. Right. Uh, and this was a satellite made by a group of middle school children in Brazil. What are they getting from the satellite? What is it doing? It's not certainly... They were doing... They were communicating with it. There's a transceiver on board. Mm -hmm. and, and people will get the kits and they'll modify them and they'll, they'll enhance them or they'll... Uh, they'll do anything that they like with it, essentially, to make it fit their mission. And so in that early 2018 orbital launch, mm -hmm. um, how many satellites, in, you know, in, in theory are going to go up into space? And um, Well, we have 143 units here. Wow. And so they're, they're waiting to launch. Right. And they're, you know, everyone from, uh, you know, the University of Moldova to uh, NASA from West Virginia to... Uh, uh, you know, um, schools in the Silicon Valley. It, it, there are all sorts of payloads, including, uh, as we like very much, art and music payloads as right. well. So, uh, you know, 
just from us, there are 143, but we've We've built our business plan around a, an altitude of 310 kilometers, which will allow these to have a short on-orbit lifespan, probably uh, three weeks to three months, depending on solar activity and how much the atmosphere expands or doesn't, right. uh, and how much drag's produced. But um, they will then re-enter the atmosphere and uh, burn up. So we will, you know, basically clean up after ourselves right. as it were you right. know <laughs> and that pack is it in, uh, pack it out yeah yeah so it'll do the it'll do what it has to do and then get out essentially right i mean and that's part of why you guys are able to do what you what you do yeah. i guess the limiting factor is and this is where you guys really get into you know your forte is less expensive launches right mm -hmm. just to get yeah. things up there yeah the fact that we're both a, a satellite manufacturer and a rocket manufacturer means that we don't have to wait in a line somewhere for a launch that might never come you know that's that's the other thing uh, this is uh, this is a service that we've been we've been uh, formulating you know for for decades really and it's what we see as is necessary in really furthering the, the whole small satellite world and that whole that whole sector this is a launch on demand vehicle we launch out of the ocean. We are looking out of a barge, off a. Uh, we have a container. We uh -huh. use. It's kind of like the Sealar project from the Naval Research Lab from the '60s, and uh, this is our spaceport. So we get a license for our latitude and longitude, and this is mobile. We can go wherever there's an ocean and right. wherever we can get a license, right? But that will give our customers different inclinations. They can. They're not just stuck with that land-based uh, spaceport, you know, one, one way up. The Current is produced by Forbes Brand Voice with Dell Technologies and Intel. You guys are part of Synergy Moon, which is a team that is sending a rover to the moon, part mm -hmm. of the Google X Prize. Yeah. What's the plan there, and and how did you guys get involved? Yeah, Google Lunar X Prize. Yeah, that's uh, we were in the original X Prize, which was run out of this spaceport actually when it was an airport. Right. And uh, when your competition suddenly gets thirty million dollars overnight, <laughs> it's kind of game over, right? But still, it was fun uh, being part of that and watching all of it occur. So the um, when the Google Lunar X Prize came up, we were we were actually advertising uh, a lunar sample return mission that we were doing as just a private company. We we're looking at doing it somewhere between 2018 and 2020. And we have always had lunar plans in our site. You know, it's always it's always been about eventually uh, building a moon base and servicing it with our own transportation system. So we would build well, a hold transportation on a second. System. I would love to be able to say we've <laughs> always had lunar plans on our site. Um, what, what, what do you do on a moon base? Well, you could enjoy the view. Yeah, that's <laughs> right? true. I intend to do that myself. So uh, that is, uh, you know, seeing the, seeing the Earth from the moon must be just an incredible, yeah. you know, life-altering event, yeah. I would think. But we were setting up a lunar research station. We, we actually came up with the idea in 1996 and, and founded another company called Translunar Research. It's a 501c3 nonprofit scientific organization that's dedicated to the colonization, exploration, and 
basically exploitation, commercial exploitation of the moons of the solar system, our Earth moon being first. Right. You know, it was a destination. It's a destination that's three days away, right? Three then, days away at clocking at what speed? <laughs> well, well uh, escape velocity plus. <laughs> right. <laughs> so to me, it's the natural space station. I always wish the space station had been put on the moon instead of in orbit. Back to the moon base <laughs> and also to the the to Synergy Moon, your team, your rover is not kind of what we imagine, at least what I picture as a rover, this thing with six wheels that, you know, kind of slowly traverses the Earth. We saw it like in the, in the Martian, for example. Yeah. Um, what do you guys have planned yeah, for this is Yeah, this is a different concept, and, and, and we are a very different company. We, I'll just give you a little background here. We're different because we use different propellants. Uh, like White-fuming nitric acid and turpentine are our basic propellants. Because these are very dense propellants, it allows us to build a smaller profile rocket, hence a cheaper rocket. So because we have a smaller profile rocket, we're looking for a kind of minimalist uh, way to carry out the requirements of the Google Lunar X Prize mission. We found a solution which is something that would traverse the terrain, uh, would allow us to send back our required message, do all of those things without you know, being some gigantic, monstrous Volkswagen-sized right. uh, you know, payload. Uh, and, and all we were concerned about was meeting the requirements of the mission. We which is send a vehicle or? Certain distance away from your, your landing uh, point, and then you send back the secret Google message, right. <laughs> things of that nature, things that didn't require a huge vehicle to do. I don't know, one night I was watching television and saw a news story of uh, some soldiers throwing a device, a little robot, over a wall, and it was exploring a you know, dangerous right. building of some sort for looking for enemies, whatever. But I found out that was called a throwbot. Uh, Recon Robotics makes that. So we're basing our rover on that concept, and uh, we've tested it out here in the desert, but now we're space hardening it. It's not made for space, it's made for use on Earth, but it's a minimalist approach. And if we can get the job done for the, and win the prize, you know, $20 million prize, we'll take a tiny robot, and uh, we won't worry if people laugh at how tiny that robot is. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure, and uh -huh. you'll throw it under the moon's surface. Yeah. If inner orbital does what you guys are, are hoping it does, how does space change for people? Well, more people will be allowed uh, to go, let's put it that way, uh, not based on just being picked, again, by some government agency. Uh, they can go of their own uh, free will and their own, uh, you know, through their own efforts. I guess we built a railroad, or we're building the railroad to the moon. It's, uh, it's a space transportation system that people will be able to afford, and it will make the, the moon base a living destination, something that, will, that can remain uh, constantly occupied and remain as a tourist destination or a research destination. We'd like to see it as both a research station and as a tourist zone also. And do you think that's within reach in, in you know, how long would you say? I, w I would say, uh, <laughs> hey, giving dates always gets me in trouble. And, and all of this takes much longer than one would ever expect it to. So, But I would think that the first human flights to the moon, probably 2021, 2022, oh. something like that. Not too long uh, away. So we're, Soon. We're intending to send our f the first components of our base to the moon surface in 2021. Right. 
Uh, and we're looking at having a base at the south pole of the moon at the Shackleton Crater, which is what we've always advertised as our location. Right. Uh, that is, um, has many advantages, and uh, hopefully that will be a reality soon. Uh, but well, then, I'm going to uh, put it in my calendar mm -hmm. for 2022 because I want to make sure that the restaurant's open and all that. That's right, yeah, all the entertainment. <laughs> yes. But views of up. Earth. Uh, mm -hmm. Random Mill Iron, uh, Interorbital Systems, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Current, a podcast series about digital transformation produced by Forbes Brand Voice with Dell Technologies and Intel. Let Dell Technologies Cloud Solutions, powered by Intel, show you the power of digital transformation. Intel inside, powerful productivity outside.